viu rico namorar pobre? Hello, Cybersphere. It's your fave. It's back for another one. Howdy, howdy. Hi. Hey, everyone. So you're wondering who that extraneous voice may be, and you all are in for a treat. That is none other than my ever-talented younger sister, Alexa Jean Young. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be on Say La Tea this week. Finally, I know you've been begging us for about a year or so. Literally begging. Dreams do come true. This is the content (laughs) people want to hear. Okay, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Alexa. All right. So um, I do not have many credentials to date. I am a 21-year-old college student at the University of Florida. Um, I am a political science student, and I'm minoring in African-American studies and women's studies. Um, Those are my claims to fame as of right now. So I absolutely have no merit to be on this podcast, but yet here I am. So that's what nepotism gets. You know what's actually crazy? You have more merit to be on this podcast than all three of the hosts of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll take it. We appreciate you coming by. Um, So in the spirit of what's been happening in the world, I thought my sister would be a really great uh, kind of guest for some of the topics we are going to talk about. But before we get into that, how was everybody's week? What what were you guys up to? Um, so I've been just laying low and surveying the scene on social media because it is a shit show. So that's what I've been doing. I actually, this past weekend, I went down to uh, St. Augustine down in Florida for a little getaway. Um, and then I completely forgot that, I mean, not that I was trying to escape anything, but at the same time, like it was impossible because everywhere you looked on there is Trump flags and Confederate flags and blue lives matter flags. And, uh, um, but it was, it was nice. It was a nice little mini vacation, I guess you could say, but, um, coming off of last week, uh, it was voting day here in Georgia for our primaries, which made a lot of news headlines because there was a lot of concern about voter suppression, um, especially in uh, the area where I live in. Um, just to give like an idea that I got up that morning and I went to vote at around seven o'clock and I was leaving the parking lot at like 952 I think is what I had like put it at so it was it was almost 3 hours of waiting in what line. What the hell? Um yeah, it was insane. That's not even compared to like some of my friends who literally waited 4 hours to to vote. Um which is unacceptable. Like that there in, in no way should we had to be waiting mo- like multiple hours to vote. And I'm glad that people did. Honestly, it gave me a lot of um, it made me feel really good to know that so many people s- did see that line and still said, no, like it's still important for me to stand here and still important for me to cast my vote. Um, but overall, like it's, it was, it was a mess. There were machines that were mysteriously broken that weren't working anymore. Um, they waited until like an hour of people waiting in the line to say like, Hey, actually, if you're here to drop off an absentee ballot, you need to go across town to the other location to drop that off. We don't, te- we don't accept those here, but people have been told otherwise, uh yeah it's it was a mess um okay that 
is not surprising, but also horrifying. Um, Alexa, let's get a scholarly opinion on that. What is, what do political science majors have to say? Okay. So I'm hardly a scholar, but um, (laughs) I can definitely offer my two cents about this. Um, Voting rights is something I actually feel really passionate about. I've written like a bunch of policy briefs on it. Um, And so I'm unsure if you all are familiar, but in 2013, uh, there was a Supreme Court case called Shelby County versus Holder. And basically what it did was it struck down Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Um, And so basically what that did was, so the Voting Rights Act, if you guys did not know, um, is kind of what gave protections to um, black, brown, other marginalized people um, who are citizens of the United States to be able to actually vote. Um, And so basically the mechanism behind that, um, the Voting Rights Act was this formula for preclearance. And so it's based off of um, states who had, you know, specific laws that um, disenfranchise like black and brown communities and other marginalized communities from voting. Um, And so that looked like things like poll taxes, um, other, you know, mechanisms that kind of got in the way of marginalized people being able to vote, things like literacy tests, all that jazz. And so um, that so section 4b kind of um, is the preclearance formula for that. So it looked at those states that had uh, disenfranchising laws um, and subjected them to preclearance um, by the Supreme Court. So basically, whenever they wanted to pass a new voting law, it would have to be pre-cleared by the Supreme Court. So a lot of those uh, cases were coming from states in the South, states like Georgia, for example. Uh, And so um, in striking down Section 4B, which the court uh, claims the decision was because it's based off of like antiquated data, um, it allows for a lot of what we see today. So a lot of those long lines, cuts to early voting, voter ID laws that are super strict, um, you know, that is where you see a lot of that disenfranchisement actually happening, if that makes sense. Yeah. So is it, I mean, I'm going to ask simply because I don't know, are predominantly black and brown communities affected more than other communities by these problems? 100%. Absolutely. It's something that you see a lot of, um, especially in like urban cities and urban areas where people might not have cars, so they might not need for example, a driver's license. There are some states that, you know, do not accept um, other forms of government issued IDs um, for voting purposes. Really? I didn't know that. Even IDs that uh, qualify for things like SNAP benefits and other welfare programs uh, are not qualified or not um, considered. It depends on each state, but in a lot of states in the South, you see that they're not considered to be like adequate enough to exercise your right to vote, which I think is ridiculous. Okay. So I never want you to say that you're unqualified ever again, because you explained (laughs) that better (laughs) than most people that ever have. You wrote a whole brief on it. I mean, that was it in a nutshell. Definitely gets, there's like definitely a lot of like hairs and like nitty gritty to get to. Um, But it's pretty, it's pretty terrible. I mean, when I was in Washington last time, um, I've interned on Capitol Hill for my local congresswoman a couple of times. And so when I was in Washington last time, (laughs) I had the privilege of going to um, a briefing on the state of voting rights hosted by the Congressional Black Caucus. And I got to listen to John Lewis, who is... Y'all, girl, what? Like, 
member of Congress. And he, you know, spoke about, you know, marching on the Edmund Pettus Bridge and being the first one to get hit. And there was like not a dry eye Mm. in that room. And that was when I kind of decided that, you know, voting rights is something that I was going to feel really passionate about. And so it's funny because people love to talk about the 2016 election and about how black voters just didn't turn out and didn't show out like they like they did in 2012 and in 2008 for Barack Obama. But I argue that it's not because black voters are necessarily getting lazy. It's because after the 2012 election, Shelby County decision was made in 2013. I argue that a lot of them were probably disenfranchised from even being able to cast their vote. You know, we need to do things like make election day a federal holiday so that people, you know, don't have to go to work and that people aren't stressing out to make it somewhere on time. So they, if they need to, because we love to curb voters in this country, they need to wait for four hours. They have the time to wait for four hours. Right. Well, damn. I mean, that was a lot of information. I feel smarter for it. Thank God you're going to school for political science because now I feel like I know some shit in the area. Yeah, truly. (laughs) Damn, that's messed up. I mean, it's not shocking to hear that these things are done on purpose, but what's so upsetting about this time that we're in is not being shocked by the things we hear, but still being pissed. Like it's so blatantly obvious in our face. It's no one is hiding what we're doing to make opportunities less available for black and brown and other people of color in this country. And it's disgusting. It's sickening. It's part of the reason I wanted to be in political science at one point. That's why I had to leave. I said, oh, no, no, I can't do this. If y'all really want to be shocked by something about the Shelby County decision, I completely forgot to mention this. But so um, Texas is one of those states that was subject to preclearance. And so they had a voter ID law that they had wanted to pass prior to the Shelby County decision. And so the Supreme Court struck it down and said it would disproportionately, um, you know, it would disproportionately disenfranchise black and brown voters in the state of Texas. So, no, this is not constitutional. You cannot pass this law, et cetera. Literally hours following the Shelby County decision, that same exact law went into effect in Texas because they were no longer subject to preclearance, even though it was proven to like directly marginalize black and brown communities. So if you ever want to question whether it is deliberate, whether it is intentional, that should be enough to do it. And so um, that voter ID law restricted the list of possible identification um, in a way that would bar over 600,000 registered voters in the state of Texas. What? Yeah, it's crazy. Okay, well, while we have you here, I guess it's worth talking about some other like legal stuff that I really need help dissecting. So let's start things on a happy note. Um, The most recent Supreme Court ruling... How do you guys, I mean, it's amazing. It's incredible. It is. It's amazing. And at the same time, I can't believe that it's a thing that we had to vote on and actually get passed. Like, you know what I mean? It's one of those things that just like, really, that was, that's a thing that's actually been an issue in the past. And that's insane. It's 2020. Um, But we still see that all the time. And I, I have a couple of friends even who have dealt with homophobic workspaces that have eventually just essentially been if they weren't fired for it, they were essentially just pushed out for other reasons. Um, so this ruling is is fantastic. Um, Shane, can you give us a brief recap? I realized I just very vaguely touched on what it is we're talking about. So um, in your own words, give the listeners some context. So, yeah, long story short, basically, the Supreme Court had uh, in 
Alexa, you can correct me if I'm wrong, please, because once again, you're far more qualified than I am. But from what I understand, um, it was basically brought to the attention that with the uh, like employment rights that it did not protect um, LGBT and transgender, uh, gay and transgender people um, from being let go for that exact reason. And it was brought to the attention and they ruled that that is protected under the law, correct? Yeah, that's actually correct. Um, so that not was actually. I don't cor- mean actually, but I'm just saying. Yeah, you are totally correct. Um, so you kind of hit the nail right on the head with that one. Um, so the decision was in Bostick v. Clayton. Um, there are a couple things to note in this decision, which I thought was really interesting. Personally, I would have never anticipated that this court would be the one to make this decision. So it was definitely some much needed good news after a couple weeks that have been just grim when it comes to uh, national politics and just national sentiments right now. So it was definitely, I think, the pick me up that a lot of us needed. Um But yeah, it was definitely interesting. So Justice Gorsuch and Justice Roberts. So Gorsuch, if you guys did not know, uh, is was Trump's first um, nominee since he was president. And so uh, Gorsuch and Roberts joined the liberal leaning justices um, and Gorsuch wrote the majority opinion. Um, So. Basically, what he said was that his exact words were that an employer who fires an individual for being homosexual or transgender fires that person for traits or actions it would not have questioned in members of different sex. Sex plays a necessary and indisguisable role in the decision. Uh, it was exactly what Title Seven forbids. Wow. You know what my thought is? It was sad to see Clarence Thomas dissenting on this. I'm like, damn it. What are you doing? Why is he still... Girl, Clarence Thomas has already been traded in the race draft. I don't know if you missed that. (gasps) Over the past 40 years, we gave that man up a long time ago. Shane, he belongs to your camp now. I hope you all take care of him because he's not one of mine. I think it's important to just on this note that, you know, as as great of news as it is and as as welcome as the news was, part of me did... you know, there's definitely a reason to celebrate, but at the same time, I think it's very important to not forget about the um, the rolling back of the healthcare protections for women and transgender people um, that happened on June 12th, which was the uh, four year anniversary of the Pulse shooting in Orlando. Um, and by rolling that back, it basically reversed the rule that it essentially prevented healthcare uh, workers and Insurance companies, um, any of those that receive like federal funding, uh, they can now refuse to provide services like um, gender uh, change or uh, abortion or just the care that transgender and women need. Um, And I think that as great as this news was, I don't want that to take the back burner and us to forget that that also happened. Yeah, Um, that is huge of you to bring up because, you know, me, myself, I think I've been so desperate for some good news that I've kind of just let that go to the dark parts mm-hmm. of my brain. But you're absolutely right. Um, the men who lead this country are obsessed with the genital and reproductive organs of women in a way that is so obsessive, compulsive and unnecessary. And very. not only have they had a very strong grip on us as cisgender women, but now we see them kind of 
tightening that grip on trans women as well or trans people in general. And it's just unnecessary. Like, do you have anything better to do but be obsessed with what's going on in my pants? It's ridiculous. Truly. And I think also like on that note, too, as speaking of the men that are running this country, um, it's also important to, to note Trump's response whenever they asked him about his um, response to the, the current Supreme Court ruling about employment rights. And his exact words were, they've ruled. I've read the decision and some people were surprised, but they've ruled and we live with their decision. There was no celebration of it. There was no acknowledgement that this is just absolutely groundbreaking for the LGBT community. It was just, we'll live with it. And as wonderful as this news is, that is still a slap in the face at the end of it all. And it's, you know what? You're fucking right. You're going to live with it. And it's a, it's insane that it's taken this long for it to become, um, to actually go into action. But, you know, on that note, I think that it would be really interesting if we discussed the dissent. Um, so there was something really interesting and I'm not even going to comment on it after I tell you all, I want you guys to give me your, uh, honest reactions to this, but in justice Alito's dissent, he said, if every single living American had been surveyed in 1964, which if you did not know is the year that the civil rights act was passed, um, it would not, it would have been hard to find any who thought that discrimination because of sex meant discrimination because of sexual orientation, not to mention gender, a concept that was essentially unknown at the time to you that's the concept that was unknown right. at the time to you you idiot As a, <laughs> I, I, I feel like we're in kindergarten again like do we have to explain this so many times or are you just stupid like what, what, to explain? what else that's what to keeps do? baffling me it, it, <laughs> It's really disheartening because these are supposed to be some of the most enlightened like individuals and intellectuals in our country. So uh, it's it's not great, you know, that I sit here as a 20 year old college student, you know, picking apart just a Supreme Court justice's dissent. Um, Not great. Not a great sign. But obviously, I mean, my first take was if we're going to be applying this sort of logic to this decision, you know, what about the second amendment right what about all right. of those other you know what about the first amendment they didn't know the internet was going to exist and the president can tweet lies all day long exactly and you know they didn't know when they were using gunpowder and muskets in 1776 that we would have ar-15s and semi-automatic assault rifles right one thing i will say about um this supreme court ruling is it's going to piggyback of off of something W. Kamau Bell said that you brought up last week, Amanda, about how um, a white person's whisper is equal to a black person's scream. And I feel the same about um, this ruling because all of these cisgender and cis sexuality, is that a term? Probably not. People are not saying anything about this ruling. It's all people within that I've seen within the LGBTQ plus community and not enough allies are talking about this. And I do not like that as cis people in this world, we need to demand rights for everyone. And I don't think that's right. I 100% agree with you. Absolutely. It's, it's ridiculous. Like I, I still don't understand what the problem is. I say this all the time and I live by this. Be careful what you hate because you might have to learn to love it. 
Yes. Most times mm. that's true. Mm-hmm. You might have a child that turns yes. out to be a transgender man or woman. You might have a gay um, grandchild. You have no idea. So just be careful. Be careful. I'm going to put that shit on a t-shirt. That was incredible. Yep. <laughs> Merch. Thank you so much. <laughs> Merch. Yeah, the first. Put that on a hat, baby. Put that shit on a mug. We want it on a bumper sticker. We want it on some panties. Panties? Yes, girl. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> well, Lady harness shape. On it. Lady Gaga straight up. Yes, harnesses too. But did you guys, uh, this is opposite, but did you guys see how Lady Gaga for her Chromatica merchandise has a jock strap that's pink and says Chromatica on it? <laughs> Yes, of course. Girl, the gays flocked. They all, they got that, they sold Not out those flocked. jock straps. Oh, yes, they did. <laughs> Jane, did you flock? Did you buy a jock strap? I didn't flock because, listen, I don't like the, I don't. You I said like the gays the, flocked. I said the gays flocked. I did, that does not mean all of them. That's, that's Right, Sherry, come on now. Right, come on now. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> I like the old school jock straps, the ones that are like thick banded and, you know, old school 70s porno jock straps give it to me anyways oh no okay girl i, that, I mean what sir, just ma'am, whoever you are i'm done all right we shifted we shifted the conversation but any um, any what can we talk about anna wintour and what's going on with all of these companies talking about black lives matter I yes, would please. love to, Perfect but second. before we do, let's take a quick break. <laughs> and we are back. Sherry, before we left to break for a little bit, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about Anna Wintour. So why don't you fill us in, girl? What's the tea? What's going on? What did Miss Annie do this time? Spill it. Anna Wintour, I am just, there's so many people that have disappointed me this week because they've shown their true colors and collectively the internet has come for everybody. There are no casualties left. Like (laughs) we will pray for them and hope they make it. So Anna Wintour, according to E! News and um, other resources, she released a memo within Vogue where she talked about on June 4th, where she talked about the lack of diversity in Vogue, which finally let's talk about it. Um, She said, and I quote, I want to start by acknowledging your feelings and expressing my empathy toward what so many of you are going through sadness, hurt, and anger too. I want to say this, especially to the black members of our team. I can only imagine what these days have been like, but I also know that the hurt and violence and injustice we're seeing and talking about have been around for a long time. Recognizing it and doing something about it is overdue. Sherry, I have to interject really quickly. She said to her black employees, right? Yes. This is an internal black members of her team. Yes. Can we please get some type of proof that there are actually black members of her team. I really have <gasps> never in my life heard of a black person working at Vogue, and I'm not even trying to be petty. This literally seems fake because, bitch, there are no black people that work at Vogue. That's part of the problem. That's why y'all do what you do. Well, here's what she said. She said, and I quote, I want to say plainly that I know Vogue has not found enough ways to elevate and give space to black editors, writers, photographers, designers, and other creators. 
We have made mistakes too, publishing images or stories that have been hurtful or intolerant. I take full responsibility for those mistakes. Okay, but if you do not have black like black team members or black people in your C-suite, then you're pretty much begging to be making mistakes, in my opinion, because who's going to check you? This also sounds like one of those things we've seen a lot of businesses doing lately, which is where they go like, we are listening and we are going to be changing what we're doing. And I'm like, okay, I don't give a shit what your statement is. I want to see some action. Like, and, and that's where like this echoes a lot of that right now. And honestly, the internet came for her so fast. As like, they should. They- they chopped her head off. Like she's a dame. Did you know that she's Dame Anna Wintour? I had no idea. What? Yeah, she's a dame. Well, you guys may know Andre Leon Talley, who is a famous person in the fashion world. He said the statement came out of a space of white privilege. I want to say one thing: Dame Anna Wintour is a colonial broad. She's a colonial dame. She comes from Brit- British. She's a part of an environment of colonialism. Me. Damn. Um, <laughs> what? My jaw's on the floor. He called her a colonizer? Oh. <laughs> he called her a colonial dame. That is my new... Oh, not a colonial dame. Colonial dame. This is basically royalty because he used her... <laughs> her title to cut her down. (laughs) (laughs) That's a new one. and I very much like it. That is the best kind of read. So he also goes on to say, I do not think she will ever let anything get in the way of her white privilege. (gasps) That announcement Uh, was like the man who made the announcement for the NFL. First of all, Shook. I'm shook. I have no words for how Andre on tally chopped everyone up in addition to that right so we have basically everyone at vogue who used to work at vogue is coming for anna wintour like check it out on twitter it is absolutely amazing but the internet also came for her and what i mean by that is on tiktok there was this vogue challenge going around it started like mid-may according to the cut then this statement came out from anna wintour on june 4th so about six days later, there is a person, I need to find her name. Um, she decided to join the Vogue challenge. And she was like, well, I'm late to the challenge, but this is a good time for me to put my POC face on a Vogue cover. And she's in a hijab, which is so beautiful. And then the Vogue challenge turned into a space for Black creators to put themselves on the cover of Vogue. So then you, they're putting like Vogue Italia, Vogue Espana. They even started making up Vogue Africa. And it became this huge, just beautiful outpouring of black creators and photographers being like, this is my dream. And it was so cool. But then of course, there's someone who ruined it. So I, because of the nature of the internet and how things just travel and become like viral super quickly, um, I think things get spread without the acknowledgement as to what it's actually meant to do. Um, and I actually did make a post um, that was more like pride themed based off of a show that I'd done. It was me and this other guy um, on stage. And I had done like the Vogue thing with it and I posted it. And within five minutes, I, I was just like searching the tag and I just saw all these like black and brown faces. And I was like, Oh no. Like, and immediately just like went and like, erased it and looked it up and I was like holy shit that's what this is for and like the more I started looking like the more I just saw people like left and right starting to like post their photo shoots and post their 
their little, you know, headshots and stuff like that. And they were all white people. And I, I immediately was like, oh, shit. And that could probably leeway into Sherry, your story. And it does because it evolved into a space for black creators to show their work. But there are still some white creators that are upset that they have not been invited to the cookout. Okay. What I mean by that is one of my favorite bloggers, well, used to be because she has since been unfollowed. Her name is Mad Maven. I have been following her for her great graphics, but unfollowed her because her character is trash. This person posted the Vogue challenge, but she posted it uh, a few days after the black creators started evolving that space and making it their own. Well, those same creators came for her because she had her little Vogue cover and said, you need to take this down immediately. And she got upset. She took down the post and then wrote this passive aggressive gap sliding caption. Wasn't aware when I posted my Vogue challenge that white people weren't invited to participate. So I removed it out of respect for why the challenge exists and reposted this series because it's one of my favorites. Something in me was like, this is a little passive aggressive. Like, why are you acting this way? So then people are commenting. First of all, there's this white woman with a handle called Ain't No Thang But a Chicken Wang saying white no, people no, are there's not. Oh, no. Yeah, no, oh, there's no. Not. Yes. Oh, no. Well, I have the screenshots, <laughs> but it was deleted. Ain't No Thang But a Chicken Wang. That's her handle said. White people aren't allowed to do it. Racism goes both ways, huh? So you have people like that showing up on her comment because they've been waiting. They've been sitting on ready, trying to hop in because they haven't been invited to the cookout, right? So then someone called Rach the Radiance goes, nope, no, it does not. So people, there, and she's also white. So you can see white people getting upset at what she has posted. So there are white warriors out there fighting for the cause. They are fighting, right? Come on, but she Rach. doesn't like that. And then she starts blocking people. So then I start messaging Rach the Radiance. After that, she posts a story and she said, if you are coming onto my platform to start drama or to start to question my character or cut me down in any way, you're getting blocked. My platform is not here for negativity and I won't stand for it. Sending loving strength to everyone during these hectic times. Change is coming and yes, we can and will end this racism and get justice for those lost, even if it takes another 20 years. The fight doesn't end. This is stupid. This not, is it's yes, a mess. We can. She, t- yes, she did not call Obama. I'm <laughs> astounded. Literally, said she literally called yeah. out the C-Sip <laughs> But girl doesn't speak Spanish, so she kind of just kind of yelled, Yes, we can. I, I'm on her thing right now, and I would just like to bring awareness to a couple things. I'm getting really sick of these influencers posting like very non-related things and like making it about black lives matter and making it about the movement because it seems very forced and very performative. And she made this post that says love is all we need with all the like colors of the, like the fist emoji and equality for all hashtag and racism hashtag dismantle white supremacy. But this girl is wearing a plantation hat in this model, this photo shoot. <laughs> Honey. That's it's a mess. That's mess. a whole mess. That gives me Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds vibes. You know, they recently apologized <laughs> for getting married in a plantation. Like, they just found out in 2020 that plantations are a pillar of racism. Like, wh- I don't even know what to say. I actually like them both. 
but I don't know if I can continue on that path at this point. You're Not lying. Because they're racist, but because they're dumb. Like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? You know, we talked about this last week with Stassi, but Black Lives Matter is literally making me cancel so many people because I know for a fact now they simply do not care about me. Right. And it is so upsetting because I'm now realizing I was like, damn, I didn't realize everybody was racist. Oh my God. We're not even overtly racist. Some people just are too wrapped up in their own lives to change their regular behaviors. And I literally said, if she could have just apologized and said, hey, I didn't realize that this was a space for Black creators, so I have taken my post down. That's what she should have said. Instead, she made it about her. Like, it, what? Where was the, there was no apology in there ever. And sees nothing wrong with that. I think that is like probably the most scary part of it all, of this covert like racism, is that people seriously do not see what they're doing is a problem and that's terrifying you're right because my girl Rach the radiance who i now follow she we have been talking all day (laughs) let me tell you and i think i got her to listen to the podcast hey Rach the radiance if you are in the audience listen this also this all comes back down to like we are seeing it so much on the internet right now but y'all white people get so jealous of oppression and they want to feel oppressed so fucking badly. <laughs> like, what the heck? It's so weird. Like, ma'am, guys, I don't want this. Please enjoy your happy it is, life. It is fetishizing oppression. And, and can I, can I real quick, I know we're not doing royalty this week, but this is, this would have had to take the cake. I just want to read this really quick to y'all because it, it fully, falls into this. So on the unsilent majority's Facebook page, right? Someone made this post and it is really, really just awful fan fiction. And I would just like to give you a quick dramatic reading of it. Amazing. Oh I cannot wait. I'm scared. <clears throat> it was a beautiful morning here in America 2024. I decided to run down to Dunkin' Donuts to grab a dozen of their goodies to surprise the kids. I got into the car and headed for Copernic Boulevard Traffic was light, probably due in part to the national unemployment rate of 30%. I arrived, pinned on my little government-mandated star, identifying me as white, and went inside. The store was filled with the wonderful aroma of fresh donuts and coffee. Just six or seven years ago, I used to pick up donuts for my staff every Friday here, but that was before the Reparations Act drove me out of business. I perused the selection of donuts as the elderly woman in front of me finished up her order. That'll be 1942, said the cashier, a white girl of about 20 whose expression bore not even the hint of a smile. 19? All I got was a muffin and a hot tea, the small old woman protested in a sweet voice. You're wearing that, aren't you? You gotta pay the tax just like the rest of us did to make up for what we did before. She points at the star pinned on the woman's jacket. But I didn't do anything, and I'm paying $19 for a muffin. Good day. She turned and hobbled out the door. I went to the counter as the cashier shook her head. I asked for a dozen assorted donuts, which the girl boxed up and laid in front of me. Anything else? She asked. When I nodded my head, no, she rang it up. 37.48. Wait, 37 for donuts? Am I going to have a problem with you too? You have to pay the privilege tax if you wear that star. It's the law and we deserve it. I don't even want to wear this stupid star, I said. The law says you have to. We made black people slaves, stole the Native Americans' land, and oppressed them for 400 years. Now we have to make it right. By overpaying for donuts? 
What do you mean by we? I didn't do any of those things. My family wasn't even in America until 1930. This is all BS. I handed her my credit card, which she swiped with a dirty look and handed it back. I got in my car and headed for home. I turned down Alinsky Way and noticed the military loading people who refused to wear the white star into buses. They'd be headed to the re-education camps now. That law was upheld by the 15 members of the Supreme Court after all the new justices voted in favor of it. Biden was so senile that he was signing anything they put in front of him. Such a different country now, I can hardly believe it. I turned at the light and I headed down Mark Street as I turned on the radio. I heard a voice I recognized as Secretary of Education Abrams talking about a new executive order requiring all school districts to be dissolved and schools placed under federal authority for curriculum alignment and racial balance. Great. No more high school football teams as we know them. I should have voted for Trump, I muttered to myself as I turned onto NWA Avenue. I noticed my neighbors mowing grass and working in the yard all along what used to be Maple Street. It wasn't long ago that people smiled and waved at each other here. Now, the misery of no jobs and being blamed for everyone's problems had everyone beaten down. I suddenly noticed red and blue lights in my mirror as I approached my driveway. I knew I wasn't speeding, but the car followed me into my driveway as I stopped. A state enforcement officer got out and approached my window. He asked for my identification, which I quickly produced. What's this all about? I asked him as he looked at my license. This is about you and sedition. Sedition? Wait, there's been some mistake. No, no mistake. We heard you right there from your own cell phone. Patriot Act and all that. So you wish you'd voted for Trump? We have a nice seat waiting for you on a bus. Now step out of the car. All I wanted was some donuts. That's it. You've got to be fucking kidding me. You guys. What? White people fucking love to be oppressed. And the comments on this post are people all sharing memes like, um, like, what is one of them? It's uh, people just like saying shit, like posting the don't tread on me with like the snake like rolled over. And it says like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, fuck. I'm so oppressed. Like, listen, I what is this fetish? fetishizing of 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 oppression i don't understand it that and also this bitch is barely literate what in the fucking (laughs) trailer trash margaret margaret atwood is going on like literally this bitch thinks she literally thinks she wrote the fucking new age handmaid's tale and i'm like (laughs) your little star that you're talking about you stole from the holocaust that's plagiarism to identify that you're white this is disturbing to me because rather than face what has actually happened to black people and other people of color in this country, you're going to make up a scenario in which you are too oppressed. That is sick. There's something wrong with you. Rather than coming to terms with what's actually happened to people in this country, you're literally going to jack off to a fan fiction that you wrote about 2024. Get the fuck out of here. But does anything scream white privilege more than witnessing minorities experiencing oppression and getting fucking FOMO? I mean, nothing screams white privilege more than hearing about the oppression of minorities and having to make it up yourself in order for it to be your quote unquote reality. Like it's made up. I'm so, so very confused. And it's all over some some donuts. (laughs) Donuts. All I wanted was some donuts. All I wanted was some donuts. You know what? All I want are basic rights. Wow. Well, I think that warrants us taking a very quick break. 
Um, and when we come back, Sherry will pick up a little bit on that conversation that we kind of started last week. Okay. All right. We'll be back. Hey, hey, hey. Um, Sherry, I don't know if you remember last week, you kind of touched on why you gave up on acting. Um, I told you that we could talk about it this week, so let's let her rip. Sure. Um, so I mentioned this way back in season one. I said that I was an actor. I did get my bachelor's in fine arts in theater performance back sometime in the last decade. Um, and I have always wanted to be on the big screen, but I am also now understanding that probably won't happen unless I Issa Rae this shit. And what I mean by that is that I need to do this on my own. So after arriving in Atlanta um, and dipping my toe into the audition pool, I realized the pool isn't for me. If if you don't know what I look like, I'm a little bustier. Um, I usually, even in college, will play the maid or the comedic relief. Like I'm never the ingenue. And also I look a little different than most black people simply because I am mixed. So there's always the excuse, we don't know where to put you, but you know where the industry loves to put me as a slave. I I'm, I'm tired. I'm extremely exhausted. All the roles I go out for is ugly best friend or slave number three or um, mother, because I also, I'm too busty to be young, but I also have a baby face. Like it's, it's, it's a complete mess. I'm over it. I officially, I think in January of this year have separated from my agent and I am not auditioning in this pool anymore. Of course we miss you in the acting world. I want nothing more than for you to be happy and to be afforded the opportunity that other people are given. Um, but I think what you're speaking about speaks to a larger issue. It's an overall lack of diversity in mainstream media. We see it everywhere. We see it on the cover of Vogue. We see it on our TV screens, in our movie theaters. We even see it on, on the stage in theater, which is technically what people think is I think of as the most progressive form of art. So what you're talking about, unfortunately, is not something that is um, unique to a lot of Black people. And we have seen the call out of Hollywood happen kind of for a few years now, but never in such a large way. And I mean, I'm with you. It's disheartening. I you and I have different problems because contrary to what many people believe, not all black women are the same, but although you and I are different, uh, I do run into a lot of pushback in my career as well. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs, so I may not be what people consider to be stereotypically black. Living in Atlanta, I auditioned for a lot of teen baby mamas, a lot of crackhead baby mamas. I auditioned for a character whose name was Juan Quita. I've never met someone by that name before and looked up the writers. And of course they are white. So I understand where you're coming from and it's coming from the ground floor. The writer's room is no longer a diverse experience. We don't have 
black playwrights writing plays on Broadway. We don't have black writers in these blockbuster movie writing rooms. And you can see it. It's evident on the screen and it's evident on the page because real black people are not being written these days. I know I am not a unicorn anomaly. I know plenty of black girls who are like me who grew up in the suburbs, predominantly white spaces. And our stories deserve to be heard. The stories of girls who are just regular women existing in America in 2020 and also happen to be black. Those stories need to be heard. We need to hear about the stories of black men who are not convicts or I don't know, in and out of jail or selling drugs. And these are narratives that we are lacking in our mainstream media. And it's the number one reason why you're only auditioning for the slave, because the slave is the only role that is written. And I say I quit acting. I, what I mean by that is, is I have officially refused to be mainstream. So that's not to say I won't act again, ever again. No, that is still my, my goal but I'm going to do what I want to do. Like I'm no longer aligning myself with that system. It is complete. I'm torching it in my terms. And it's like, I remember even when Amanda and I were in college, we had a professor ask us because we were doing a scene together. That was a completely neutral scene. And a professor was like, can you know, can you guys like, um, urban it up? Um, excuse me. Not all people are from the trap slash, And not to say that it's bad if you are, because that is a culture. Unfortunately, that is not a culture that I am from. So this is what you're going to get. This is going to be the Black experience that you are going to have. (laughs) Another thing we see all the time, too, is I tend to audition for things that are... open ethnicity. Um, You guys can't see me, but I have major air quotes around that. I say open ethnicity because... So many times I audition for something and every other race of character is outlined in the breakdown. There's Latino, there's black, there's whatever describing characteristic of the character may be, but you pretty much never see white or Caucasian. So open ethnicity is kind of a way to say we're probably looking for someone white, but we don't want to get in trouble. So we're going to go ahead and say open ethnicity and have everybody audition. All those loopholes. Yep. And you know, the most frustrating thing for me, um, a lot of you guys may not know this, uh, but I am a photographer, so I also produce a lot of media. So I am actually uh, recording Amanda's auditions. I'm recording Shane's auditions. It is very frustrating as an actor and also, I guess, a producer and a director of photography as well to watch everybody that I record for get the callback I have never been cast in Atlanta once. So to watch everybody get these roles, it really it really put that into the forefront. Like, I'm the problem. They don't want me. They like my work. They like what I'm giving them. They just don't want me to do it. And I think that's the hardest part is knowing that you are not getting opportunities, not because you are not talented, because let's be completely frank and honest, you do not need to be talented to be a successful actor. Like That's the damn truth. <laughs> so We weren't ready for that. <laughs> I can, and listen, this is a profession that I'm in and I take very seriously, but I can tell you all right now, I know everyone has seen at least a handful of shitty movies and asked yourself, how did this movie get made? Yeah, it's because you do not need to be talented to have a career in media. 
period. It helps if you do. It helps you get a couple, you know, trophies on your shelf, but it's not required for you to be receiving a check, which is unfortunate. So I'm sure for you, it's frustrating because you know it's not because you're lacking. It's because the industry is lacking true diversity and lacking an, a place for you to exist in front of the main stage of the world. It's mind boggling to me that we are still having this conversation in 2020 because we have seen so many success stories from black people and other people of color who are proving that yes, people other than white people can sell tickets to movies, tickets to theater and win awards on TV. I mean, I don't understand why this needs to be a debate. We saw Hamilton skyrocket to Broadway success. It did things that people have never been able to do on Broadway. A lot of that had to do with the fact that it was colorblind casting and that there were many different people on stage and people could see themselves in theater for the first time ever. So I don't understand why we have to beg people for this because the proof is in the pudding. Well, I think part of it that comes in people care about the recognition. People care about the recognition and and the Oscars. I mean, we live in a, a time where, you know, Green Book can win over Black Klansmen. That's crazy. Sickening. Like, uh, <laughs> what? We live in a world where that type of fucking dumb shit happens. Like, what do you mean? We might as well give an Oscar to the Wiggles at this point. We're not taking ourselves fucking seriously. literally the Wiggles? <laughs> They're not even together anymore. Me and my sister saw the Wiggles like on a Netflix queue the other day, and they were the first thing that came to mind. But I mean, honestly, I can't buy that. Give the fucking Wiggles the Emmy that they deserve. The at this original point. Wiggles. The original Wiggles. <laughs> oh my god! It's frustrating because we are now at this point again where people are begging for the Oscars not to be so white, and it's like. What does it take? We saw Parasite take the top honor at the Oscars. And you know what's crazy is when that happened, I said, wow, they really beat the odds. And I don't know when we're ever going to see that again. We even saw Moonlight. such a great moment. I mean, hopefully it sets a precedent. I mean, representation really does matter. And I think people are just seriously underestimating, you know, just how much culture, you know, people of color actually consume. They're consuming a lot of culture, a lot of art. Um, and I think that is where people are, are kind of getting, you know, mixed up. But also, you know, you don't need to be a person of color to enjoy and be able to take in and resonate with, you know, people of color's stories. I mean, I'm black and I grow up right watching white people's stories on TV all the time. And I, I'm able to resonate. I'm able to, you know, enjoy it and like see parts of myself in that too. So why wouldn't it be the same way the other way around? Well, I agree with you, Cher. I think it kind of starts with us. It starts with the three of us on this podcast, but also anybody at home who's listening. I know that I am loving that we have a platform to represent diverse and unique people. And we hold a very unique responsibility being black women, allies of many different groups and having queer friends. And Shane, you have a very unique responsibility as a white man who also happens to be queer. And I love that we have this space to really kind of reclaim the narrative and 
show what real people look like and we don't have to try to be black or try to be queer we exist the way that we are and we deserve to be recognized in media and if we're not people are not making those spaces for us we will make them for ourselves one of my friends the other day she saw our new uh our new like poster like logo and she said y'all three represent the demographic of atlanta Period. Yes, we do. And it was not an accident. No, ma'am. It's going to be demographic of America if I could have it my way. Okay, so before we wrap up, um, I thought in lieu of royalty, it was kind of fun how we shared some black media we've been consuming. So why don't we kind of riff on that a little bit? Um, I'll start. So I... Of course, I it, would I be me if I didn't recommend a podcast? So I started a new podcast. It's not new, but new to me. It's a podcast called Someone Knows Something. Um, it's been around for a while. I think it's on like season six or seven. For some reason, I'm just catching on. Um, and it's a CBC produced podcast. So it's a Canadian broadcasting company podcast. And the particular season I want you all to kind of take a look at is season three. It is a very poignant look at lynching and it's a true crime podcast because you know, that's all I listen to. Um, And basically it's covering the murder of two young black boys in Mississippi in the middle of the Jim Crow era. And their murderers were never brought to justice. Um, They were never tried. And this case has pretty much remained cold since their murder. It's a very, very interesting story. And I love the way that this podcast is told because the host of the podcast who is investigating this case brings along the surviving brother of one of the boys who was lynched. And it is heartbreaking. Like I could cry, but also just so beautiful. I haven't finished it. So if they don't find some justice for this man, I will be so upset, but definitely recommend take a listen wherever you get your podcast. It's just Wow. It's amazing. Talk about using your voice as a white ally to amplify those who haven't had a voice for over 50 years, 60 years. It's incredible. Um, I'll go next. This is uh, kind of like uh, talking about Black Panther last week. This is a little bit of a lighter one. And I don't even know. I don't even know for sure how much it related, but it was on the other night. And I just flipped it on again and I'd already seen it, but um, if you haven't watched the animated Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse movie yet, um, I was doing a lot so of reading good. about it. It's phenomenal. And it 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 resonates so much more than I realized it did at first um, and how important it must have been for people to see it. And I was doing some research on it and I found um, this quote from Walter Mosley, who is a, uh, a black author. And he was talking about, I'm just going to read his quote. I have it pulled up right here. Um, But this was years before Into the Spider-Verse came out. And he said, to me, the first black superhero is Spider-Man. He lives in a one-parent house. It's not even a parent. It's an aunt. He has all of this power, but every time he uses it, it turns against him. People are afraid of him. The police are after him. The only way that he can get a job is by taking pictures of himself that are used against him in the public. J. Jonah Jameson says to him, go out and take a picture that shows him with his hand in the cookie jar that shows him stealing and being a villain. That's a black hero. Of course, 
he's actually a white guy. But black people reading Spider-Man are like, yeah, I get that. And I identify with this character. And for them to take it and turn it into um, the animated film and to have Miles Morales as a black teen, Peter Parker, is so important. And the movie doesn't even do a a ton of commenting on it. And that just makes it so much more profound, I think. Um, And so it's a little bit little bit off the beaten path, I guess, but at the same time, like I think it definitely resonates a lot with what we're currently seeing in that quote, especially. Wow, that's a fantastic quote. Okay, so mine is, it's actually stemming from a picture that I took a couple months ago when I went to the High Museum in Atlanta. And um, there is a statue that stands outside of the High Museum and it's a man holding up his arm in protest but the front half of the statue is a mirror and the back half is who the statue is fashioned after. It's actually a statue of Tommy Smith. He is um, a runner who um, I guess ended his running career when he won the gold medal for the 200 meter in 1968 in Mexico. So, you know, you'd think, Oh, he won a gold medal. Why did his running career end? It's because he, threw up his fist with John Carlos um, and they were expelled from the games and they were followed around by the FBI for years. So um, I just took a picture in front of it because it kind of spoke to me that day. And I started looking it up on my Instagram stories. I was like, I wonder if everybody knows who Tommy Smith is. Surprise. No one doesn't. Um, He's kind of the reason that the black power fist is associated with silent protesting as a black man. He said that it was not um, a black power movement he was doing. It was a human rights protest, um, but it eventually evolved into um, a black power fist. Um, And famously, he was shunned from sports. He never ran again, really. Um, And the conceptual artist of the statue, his name is, his name is Glenn Kano. He actually is doing a documentary about this man and it kind of ends with Colin Cap. So it's called Withdrawn Arms. It premiered, I believe, in 2019 at the Tribeca Film Festival and they're looking for a place to have it be its home. So that's coming out soon. I'm really excited. Um, The other co-director is Afshin Shahidi. I hope I said that correctly. My apologies if I didn't. But it's going to be interesting to see how from 1968 to 2020, so that's 52 years, how things really haven't changed much. Wow. Uh, This guy's still alive, by the way. um, Wow. Yeah. He eventually, he had to become a track coach. He eventually became a football player. But he really... That ended his career. Uh, look at the picture; it's very iconic. Um, a lot of people don't. I realize people don't know who this man is, and it's not just American history. Yeah. We can post it on Instagram for everyone to see. Cool, Alexa. Do you have anything? Yeah, I actually do. So mine is not too original, but I think it's timely. Uh, They just actually adapted it into a movie. Uh, You all might have heard of the book Just Mercy. It's written by Mm -hmm. Brian Stevenson, who is a Harvard Law graduate, and he's also the co-founder of the Equal Justice Initiative. And so it follows the story of um, a man, a black man uh, named Walter McMillan, who was wrongfully convicted for murder, uh, which placed him on death row in Monroeville, Alabama. 
Alabama, which is also interesting because that is the hometown of Harper Lee, who we all know uh, wrote the famous novel To Kill a Mockingbird uh, about a black man Mm. falsely accused of rape, of raping a white woman. So that's definitely uh, an ironic twist in the story. Uh, But, you know, in between the story of Walter McMillan, he kind of peppers in... um, some of his own experiences just as an attorney dealing with how the criminal justice system um, mistreats um, women, how it mistreats poor people, how, you know, the criminalization of poverty and mental illness. Uh, he hits on it all. So I think it's definitely worth the read. I know it's been on a lot of people's radar lately. So I hope people are actually picking it up, cracking it open and giving it a good old read. Yeah. And I think just because something is popular doesn't mean it's not worth revisiting. I personally love To Kill a Mockingbird. I know so many people who've never read it. And although it seems like part of our kind of literary vernacular as Americans, it's not something that maybe everyone has read. So definitely worth talking about. Um, And I just want to just shout out Harper Lee, man, for being the original Woke Bay. Yeah, Harper Lee, she didn't have to go that hard, and she fully did. You know, telling the stories that we needed, you know, to have told at a time when no one was telling them. where At a time where, you know, Black people weren't even afforded an education and couldn't even necessarily tell those stories in a novel themselves, which I think is definitely, um, definitely commendable. But also, I think it's crazy because, you know, this story takes place in Monroeville and they kind of herald her as like, you know, the crowning jewel of Monroeville, Alabama. All these people have, you know, claimed to read this book. But how do you read a book like To Kill a Mockingbird and come out with such a warped, skewed message? It's, it's crazy to me. Yeah. Right. Um, Before we wrap up, worth mentioning that our episode will be airing on Juneteenth, which is so exciting. Oh, my gosh. So happy Juneteenth to all of our listeners. Uh, Stay woke. Break them chains, bitch. Make sure you call out if you're black. Don't be going to work on Juneteenth, okay? (laughs) Speaking of Juneteenth, go, go secure yourself to spots at the Trump rally so that nobody's there. I love it. No, I, I already did. Energy. It's amazing. I already did. They sent me a thing and they were like, they were like, hey, it's coming up on the thing. And I literally wrote back to the automated message, fuck off. And they wrote back, <laughs> they wrote back, you've been unsubscribed from Donald J. Trump updates. I said, thank you. I need receipts <laughs> right now. Oh, no, I'll, I'll send God, them to you. Cool. Receipts right now on the Instagram. Yeah, that needs to go yes. <laughs> I need to make sure. Please. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been another eventful week of Say La Tea. If you haven't already, tell three friends about Say La Tea. Not that we're desperate, but because your friends, if you love them, need Say La Tea in their lives. It's what you do when you love someone. You give them something called a gift for them to enjoy for years to come. So l- tell your friends about us. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And uh, we did have somebody who asked where they could submit some questions or topics for us to talk about in the upcoming weeks. That is always available to you. You can email us at saylateapod at gmail.com or shoot us a DM on Instagram or DM us on Twitter, whatever smoke signal, whatever is easiest for you. <laughs> <laughs> we will definitely read and adjudicate. So with that being said, au revoir. Bye. Bye. See y'all later.